everybody and welcome back to Stardust the Book. This is uh, the, let's say, third time that we're talking about this. And this is definitely the last time we're talking about this. Hopefully. Uh, in your ears and in person. You know what I mean. <laughs> 100% that is definitely happening. Let's believe our own lies. Okay, but without further ado, let's start with chapter eight which treats of castles in the air and other matters and we finally get our ship in this one even though it's not pirates but it is close enough i feel do you know what when i when i read this subtitle i got really excited i was like everybody lied to me captain shakespeare <laughs> is in this yeah i've been gaslit into thinking that he's not in it but he is and then i was really disappointed with myself because i in fact have gaslit myself into thinking that he's gonna be i would never do that to you well it wasn't just you though it was like a global conspiracy around me <laughs> telling me that captain shakespeare is not in this book and for a moment i i wished so much for this to be a conspiracy that I believed it. You wished for being gaslit and the wish made you gaslight yourself. Yes, exactly. It's a vicious circle. Wow, that is, that is some... Uh, have you talked to your therapist about this? Um... <laughs> Impressive. No, but so we start and for some reason, oh yeah, of course, we start this chapter and before we go up into the air, we get some more information on the leftover of the pub and everything. <laughs> so the book is a bit more gruesome than the movie because we see that or we get told that the billy goat, when it charged the unicorn, got literally stabbed in the forehead which makes right sense in the because they like butted heads haha <laughs> like we are sometimes want to do but in their case it ends with a fatal injury which ouch surprising right with the unicorn having a fucking stubby thingy on their forehead yeah i feel like i commented on this when we watched the movie the life watch that he should yeah. have some kind of wound if he charged yeah, it's possible, the yeah. unicorn but i don't remember because we were drinking when we did the life watch so <laughs> i don't remember that yeah we weren't there <laughs> Definitely not. We already mentioned that Brevis does not survive in the book. Mm -hmm. We get his dead body here, which is sad, sad. And of course, all of this happens because Septimus is around. Like, Septimus surveys everything and looks at everything. Yes, that's how he learns things, yeah. Yeah. And then, then he finds his brother in the bushes. I'm sorry, <laughs> in the bushai for uh, those who know me. Uh, this the is my preferred version of multiples in words. You know, cactu cactus cacti. Octopus. Bushes. Octopi. Bush, yeah. Bush. Bushai. Okay. Yeah. Specifically, bush is like one of my favorite words uh, to multiply that way. So is, anyway. So more yeah. than one vero would be verai? Yeah. Okay. I... And linai. And... But why is it verai and linai? Uh, because wouldn't it be... Oh my God. Okay, now this is getting complicated. No, no tangents today. We don't have time for tangents. I'm sorry. Please do continue about Septimus and Primus in the bushai. So, so Septimus finds Primus and to prove Primus's point here, it takes him a minute or a second yes. to actually recognize him. He's like, oh, this person seems familiar. Oh, my God, it's my brother. Oh, my God. Yeah, and that's the point. Like that would have probably saved Primus life if Septimus has to hesitate an extra second because he's not 100% sure. So smarty boy Primus. Exactly. I love that and love that for him. And I love that he is snapping back at Septimus, even though Septimus does not hear what he's saying. 
because that makes him a funny ghost. And that reminds me of the movie, which is one of my favorite parts of the movie is the funny ghosts. The funny ghosts are great, but I really like how in the book, every time the ghosts speak, it is in the sighing of the wind, in the croaking of the tree branches, in the murmur of the water or something like that. Mm -hmm. So because this gives you the potential or illusion that whenever you hear normal sounds, it might actually be ghosts of loved ones talking to you so it is mm. kind of sad and creepy but also kind of romantic you know sure <laughs> okay i see my uh, understanding of romance or romantic behavior is once again maybe a bit off i think no i mean it would be romantic if it comes to like certain types of sounds but i feel like creaking of a raven flying across your head is more creepy than romantic it, while also the murmur of a water and the swish of a wind yes that is romantic I feel it depends on the people involved like come on for two goths it would be completely romantic if a crow flies over them and goes crow, crow, and then it actually means I think of you it's like you know it's like come I'm on. standing behind you yeah. bitch <laughs> look at me <laughs> Boo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my oh god. god. Okay. Also, we talked about this before, but it's definitely not in the actual episode. He has to take revenge for Primus being murdered because he did not murder him himself. So, boo, he hates that. But He's also, so he can't leave him there, but he has to place him somewhere high so he may be eaten by eagles. To be fair, if you think about it, with Stormhold being a super high mountain, this mm. would be a really like a royal way of disposing bodies is to get them eaten by eagles. I just kind It's of very royal. I completely read over that <laughs> and thought he has to like drag his fucking body all the way home. But <gasps> no, he so doesn't. Funny. Only the king goes to lie in the crypt and all the failures of princes get eaten by eagles unless they're murdered by a brother then they can just lay in a ditch and decompose because it's their own fault because they weren't careful enough they weren't worthy clearly they, they, what is it in a knight's tale they have been measured they have been weighed and they have been found wanting The last bit that I wrote down about this bit is, I will quote Quintus because this made me laugh so much because, again, Neil has a way with words. Yes. There is a proverbial saying chiefly concerned with warning against too closely calculating the numerical value of unhatched chicks, pointed out Quintus, which literally yep. is, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Yeah. Mwah. Like, I love when you have, you know, the, the comic strip of the aliens? Yes. Describing things in a weird way. With your or like in a stones very... or happy rotation of Earth Day. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. Like, I love when you change the wordings in order to make it sound really, really complicated, but it's the easiest fucking thing. So this made me so happy. <laughs> it's also kind of sad we never meet Quintus in person because he seems like a very entertaining individual. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> we go up into the clouds because that is where we went when we walked and I'm kind of curious how that worked you know I would imagine because they're making leaps right so maybe the um, maybe the the candle ran out candle when they were ran out making mid a... leap yeah so they got uh. stuck halfway through I'm very curious because I feel like it doesn't really get explained in the movie it has a reason why they're stuck yeah. on the half height but in the book 
it doesn't really. But this scene, despite the fact that they have no reason to fight, still is not really, really happy because Yvain now is bound to Tristran because he saved her life proper. And she is not happy about that. And I don't blame her for not being happy about that because this is not something that she has a choice over. Mm -hmm. However, she can't really blame him for it because he doesn't know the laws or the the rules of her people. The traditions, yeah. The traditions of her people. So he has done what he's done because, first of all, he was told by her mother to do so. And because it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. And, like, there was no calculation behind, behind his behavior. So even though I do understand that she hates him right now because this is the ultimate silver chain to her. Yeah. It's not his fault. And, and she is going had, to was, realize that. Yeah, she's going to realize that. And there's no maliciousness behind his behavior or uh, uh, his actions. So, you know, oh, lovers. Well, not teenagers. yet. Fate and destiny and all that. <laughs> we go to our witch queen and very gruesome, very, very gruesome. She takes the body of the unicorn with her because she yep. uses the fucking unicorn to communicate with her sisters, which of yep. course is something that we see in the movie in various ways, but not with fucking unicorn in arts. So damn. Yep. I mean, there is a reason why Septimus didn't find a body of a unicorn. Did he find a body of a unicorn in the movie? Because... I don't think he did, did he? No, no. In the, so in, did the body just... Dis- in the movie, it's not made explicit if the unicorn dies or not. Mm, it just okay. charges into the green flames and defeats the billy goat. And then it's just not seen ever again. Maybe they yeah, wanted has... to make the movie a bit more kid-friendly because like, the death of yeah. the unicorn is literally the point to show that this is not a fairy tale for children. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the movie had like a PG rating. So yeah. this might be the reason why we don't make the death of the unicorn explicit. So we don't traumatize little children. It's, um, well, yes, that. But also it's interesting to watch this. And I understand that this is the point. I hate Neil for doing this. <laughs> There's one thing. One thing is killing the unicorn. Another thing is completely defacing him, decapitating the him. Demodulation, yeah. Animating him after his death. You know, like her spitting into his mouth. It's just it's all... So gross! All it's really, so gross. really gross. But it's also... It is the darkest, most twisted magic that we see throughout the entire book. Yes. And it is the moment where the witch queen is actually showing how much power and determination is behind her actions. And how evil she is. How how willing she is to go all the ways. That she doesn't really care about any ways that she would pass. It's just, it really shows her as this intense villain. And then that just dis- disintegrates by the end of the book. It just disappears. So we mm. have this like a really evil, evil, evil magic and witch and whatever. And it just doesn't really come to fruition in the end. So like... Why? Why? You traumatize me, Neil Gaiman. Because we deserve it, I think. We are reading this in our own free will, so... I mean, yeah. You know? That's... Yeah, I suppose. In the conversation (sighs) with her sisters... They realize, okay, they are headed to wall. And because everyone who's going to wall on foot has to pass through Diggory's Dyke, this Mm -hmm. is where Morbanek decides to wait for the star. Which, okay, 
fair enough. Like, it makes sense. It kind of feels like a repetition of her plan, but... Yeah, but this time she wouldn't really be... Uh, She's not going to go with deceit. She's going to conjure up a nice place. But still, it's like, once again, she's going to make camp and then she's going to wait for the star to show up. So, okay. That was not the problem with her plan originally, first of all. And second of yeah. all, she has lost most of her youth at this point. So she can't really be she running around options. the realm. And this is the easiest and safest way for her to... Still, I'm judging her. her lack of creativity. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> And it's the thing that's going to become her, you know, what's it, what's it called? Her doom, well, eventually. not really. The curse she put on Cell is what makes her miss the star. And this is what is going to be Septimus' doom. Yeah, I mean, so... it's, it's hot. This whole thing and situation is kind of knitted very closer together, I feel like. But before we see where she sets up camp and creates her hut and everything, we go back into the clouds where Tristan has a lot of like inner monologue and thinking and everything. So at this point, he still is of the conviction that he is going to give Yvain to Victoria. Yes. But he also has reached a step where he wants to try to help Yvain get home. And yes. he says that to her, but Yvain is not very uh, positive when it comes to that. Because as she says, stars only fall, they do not get back up into the sky. See, Which is sad. It is very sad. But again, we are introducing this concept and it feels very deliberate that she is saying, well, why are you shouting around here and whatever. Oh yeah, when and he's, he's like, well, maybe, and shouting. Maybe somebody, somebody is going to hear us and, and is going to save us. And she goes, well, that doesn't happen. That There are certain rules in place in the world, the same way as no one's going to hear you here, stars don't go back up. And it feels very deliberate that at that very point is when the ship actually finds them because she is immediately getting a negation to one of her two statements of things yeah. that never happen. So it feels like it should then be the seed that's going to grow into her being able to go back home. I don't think that's the point. I think the point is to create hope within the reader so that we mm. may be more devastated at the end of it. Rude. Because that is the point for me at the very end. Yeah, But this, like, Yvain is very much a, uh, things have always been this way and there is no way anything will ever change, which makes sense because she's a star. Change is not really a thing for stars mm -hmm. and if change happens it happens very slowly over millennia of time so I, I do get why she is the way she is <laughs> but I'm with you like the paralleling with the this will never happen and this will never happen and then the second thing happening implies that the first thing probably should also happen at some point right yeah, that is Neil playing with our emotions and hopes I hate him sometimes <laughs> well be sure to let him know oh listen I have said that to authors before that that hurts me reading their books but also to me saying that and in the way I mean it it's the biggest compliment because <laughs> I can't but I can't feel this kind of a real emotion and this strong emotion towards anything that I do not love and it takes a skill to create something so lovable and this is what we are doing here with Stardust like obviously I love the book and the story so much what? and that gives me the ground to hate the author sometimes because as much as I love going with it I hate being hurt <laughs> deliberately this ties back all the way into the beginning of us doing Lucifer because if you remember one of the things that frequently came up 
was that the Lucifer creators of the show basically knew that they were catering to a masochistic audience because they mm. loved hurting us and we loved them hurting us. So I feel like this is a nice circle going back all the way <laughs> to the beginning of when we started doing this. So yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah, I suppose. So like Still you said, it. Tristan is waving and shouting because someone might just see or hear them and someone does. So we do get our airship, but it is not lightning-catching pirates, sadly. The ship hmm. is called Perdita, mm-hmm. which made me think of Perdita Durango, which I assume is another movie you haven't seen. Nope. It's a... Do you know what Perdita means? I would assume something with peril or something. I don't know. Uh, Perdita means lost. Ah, okay. Well, curious. That is a very apt name then. Mm-hmm. Well, well done. And the Perdita has a tiny, tiny crew that even has one woman on it who provides the dress for Evane, which is And a medical nice. attention, but mainly the dress. I mean, the medical <laughs> attention is genderless, but the dress in the movie we get because Shakespeare loves cross-dressing. And the dress in the book we get because there actually is one woman on the crew. So, wow. (laughs) And then we get this book version of a montage. But yes, this is kind of where this starts and it continues for the rest of the book for me. This is where it feels that we get less details and more of an overview. Yeah. And it also feels like this book could have been much longer than it is if Neil actually decided to write more details about, I mean, the last 50 pages. I'm curious why he didn't, because... I'm with you. In this moment, the tone of the book shifts because we do get details in certain scenes. Like we do get details Mm. in the whole Septimus facing down the witch queen scene and stuff like that. But through it all, he repeatedly takes us out a step back. Mm -hmm. It gives us a more grand overview and jumps ahead in time. So it is interesting. Like, didn't he... Was he not motivated enough to write more details? Did he not want to drag it out because he felt it would not be interesting enough? Or like, what was his reasoning behind changing in this moment? So I would really like to put this on the question list. If I look at my book and the bit that we're doing today is from chapter eight on. That is approximately three quarters into the book. I believe that the first 150 pages, if the last 50 pages were written in the same way the beginning was written it would be another 150 at least it would be a half point yeah like this could have been the halfway point instead of okay now only one quarter is left yeah exactly so it just feels like a shame but also i have seen this before if you read and it's mostly like children's or young adults it feels like you don't want to or and i don't want to assume or like place any of my opinions or whatever this is just the way i have experienced books in the past it sometimes feels like the author doesn't want to go over a certain page limit or a word count yeah sometimes because they know they're gonna lose they feel like that the reader because they are younger will lose attention throughout the book if they suddenly if they keep it longer and i would be with you if Neil had not literally just killed a unicorn to show that this is not a fairy tale for small children. Yeah. Like, I would be fully with you had we not that small tidbit. But that's the weirdest thing, right? Because this is, this is as I said, my experience with young adult or children's books. But yeah. this is not. It's, it's literally not. It's explicitly not. Which is why we literally just mutilated a unicorn. So I want to put this on the question list. With, yes. 
Mr. Gaiman, Neil, sir, please tell us why. Yeah, and it reminds me of the fact that if you watch the film, because of the timeline that it has, it's much more evenly paced. Mm -hmm. So there is a little, you know, nod to the film rather than a book in this case. Yeah. Because it doesn't make this book bad it just makes me sad for not getting more exactly I would have loved more I would have loved a longer book I would have loved more details on the adventures that Tristan and Yvonne experience and, and face together so yeah But aside from all of our musings about the potential reasonings, the time on the ship is still a very happy time for the two of them, just like in the movie. So we have the recovery period, we have some skills that they acquire, like Tristan learns how to sail, and Yvain heals and starts walking and everything, like, so it's... It's nice, it's happy, they're getting friendly with each other, like just friendly with no innuendo in it. And at the very end, she can walk properly, but she still has a slight limp and it never leaves her. As Tristan says, as he uh, is remembering his journeys throughout Ferry, this yeah. is often what he refers to as the happiest of his time there. So, yeah, I think that speaks for itself. Which is also kind of sad, because that means all the adventures he later on does with Yvain do not reach this point. So it's kind of like, hmm. It's like, you know, young love kind of a thing. I feel like he is becoming fond of her, and because they are safe here... Because it's, falling in love is nicer than being in love? Yes. It's wow. more pure. That is kind of depressing. I mean, yes, this is the human life we're talking about. <laughs> no, but like, wow. Okay, that is like, okay, okay. I pity you poor romantic folks. <laughs> We also have another thing that keeps popping up, but this is an especially explicit moment. Tristran's kindness and being polite and patient with people around him and helping others and receiving help in fairy comes around here again because we now learn that basically he gets help from all of the fellowship. Like with the, where are you coming from? Where are you going? He answers the question in the way he has learned. And that's also gives the person he's talking to the information that ah, he's part of the fellowship basically which he wasn't even aware but now he learns more about it and so yeah it's like it's going full circle everything is working out everything is matching I mean it's not full circle yet because later on everything comes an actual full circle but it's a way marker that we're on the right way to a full circle. So that made me very very happy with the fellowship stuff. It feels very neat and fairy tale like. Yes. The captain is giving a slight Shakespeare vibes in here in this moment where he's talking to Tristan and and having him telling him advice about Yvain and stuff like that. Yeah you can see the inspiration for Shakespeare is taken a lot from this character. Also, by the way, I literally just realized that we completely skipped over the part at the very beginning of our conversation when they are in the clouds where we finally learn Yvain's name in the book. Oh, oh, yeah, because I just keep calling her Yvain the entire time, so I didn't even clock that. Yes, you're absolutely right. This is the moment where we finally, in chapter 8, we learn her name, which... Respect. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And Neil doesn't necessarily always call her Yvain either, which is another thing that I've noticed and I really enjoy about his writing style. And by the way, yes, this is the first fully Neil Gaiman book that I've ever read. (laughs) Wow. That he uh, 
intensely and very deliberately tries to not to call people their names when he writes about them. Yeah, a lot. Mm. Even when we know her name, he still calls her Star quite a lot. The same for the Witch Queen, because yeah. this is one of the reasons why we don't have an actual name for her. Yeah. I simply zeroed in on the one name she does give, and you jumped around between the movie name and Witch Queen. We reach a tree, which is basically a haven for the chip, yeah the which tree is, port yeah which is really really cool like visually yes it is very D&D like for me because yes. uh, there are uh, sky ports and stuff like that in D&D so it's very fantasy this... world and everything mm. so maybe stardust world and D&D are neighbors probably also kind of tugging on uh, the discussion that we had about middle earth <laughs> yes This place is giving me more and more of Middle-earth vibes. So, And I'm going to get back to why certain things um, have reminded me of certain things in a couple of chapters, I suppose. But uh, yes, it's a very beautiful visual that I think is a shame that we didn't have in the movie. And I yeah. understand why, because it's much more easier to just go for a fucking cliff. Also, they probably blew all their graphics budget on the market. So... <laughs> Yeah, I suppose. No, but I mean, I would be very surprised if Neil didn't like, greet Tolkien and mm. had a certain level of influence from him. Yes. Because, I mean, who didn't? So we leave the ship and then they get... I wrote it down this way. Tristan and Yvain share a lot more adventures together after they leave the ship, with both of them exhibiting great wit and character, saving each other several times. And I feel this is a very accurate description of how little information we do get about their adventures. Yeah, yeah. I want more. Yes, I agree. It would Especially be really with Miss nice. Cherry's poetry once again, saving the Tristan's butt. Speaking of D&D, the <laughs> fact that Tristan nearly became a bard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, oh, I love that. And I love that for him. And he does actually, if you think about it, if you know a little bit about D&D, know a little bit about bards themselves, he does give bardic vibes. Okay. I have not played D&D, so I gotta take your word for it. Aside from the adventures that they go on, that we of course want to know more about, but sadly do not get more, there is also one happening that is adorable as fuck, because Yvain sings, and Tristan this time actually gets to properly hear it, because <sighs> the first time he somewhat heard her sing was when they found the injured unicorn, or when they rescued the injured unicorn, rather. And yeah. so it's... Very, very cute. Very sweet. Tristan loves it when she sings. And right on the of heels course. of this singing moment, Yvain also mentions that she is lucky to have fallen in fairy, which to me implies that she knows that outside of fairy, she's just a piece of rock. It could be taken that way for sure. It is something that I considered. Yes, it could be just because... That meant that he found her, that he saw her fall. She could have fallen somewhere in normal worlds and still be visible from wall. The only thing other than the fact that she must know that she would be stoned outside of fairy is if she knows that unicorns only exist in fairy. And she Maybe. liked the unicorn, but the unicorn was not really relevant enough because like fairy is also more dangerous for her with the witches and everything. It's like the only reason I can think of that is actually sound is if she knows that outside of fairy no vein, just a rock 
That is exactly what I was thinking of. But that being said, that doesn't track with what we learn later because she didn't know. So I'm going to put this on the question list because this is, in my opinion, writing error. Continuity error. Yeah. What shame, did she shame, mean Neil. by that? Shame, shame, Neil. Sir, Sir, Mr. Sir Gaiman. Yes, we found a mistake. How dare you? How? Why did you not correct this? Don't tell him it's a mistake. Say, uh, we were just wondering what you meant by that, but because you surely didn't mean this, did you? <laughs> <laughs> My God, we, you we couldn't have, have to. Like, seriously, we have to meet him at some point. It wouldn't uh, be beautiful. Or we, or we have to create a Tumblr and then submit... A question amongst the what was the number I researched when I did Jeez, my devils and details? Like sixty thousand backlog questions on his Tumblr. Jesus. Yep. Scary. I mean, we could still try it. It's still a higher chance than winning the lottery. That's. I want to say fair enough, but also no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> We come up to our amazing whole story part with Ditchwater Saul. Yep. Hey, hey. Now, turns out Tristan is now passing for a young, strong man Mm -hmm. that could be helpful to people. Mm -hmm. What I find interesting is the fact that the two times that he ends up hitching a ride with somebody, he is not the one technically who approaches them about it originally yeah he in a way is in a circumstance and like this is it's more here than in the previous one but the circumstance of this situation compared to the movie where he is the one with Yvain who come up to Sal and ask her for passage in this situation Sal is the one who approaches him about hey lad do you want to work for me I need somebody like you and then that's eventually turns into the negotiation mm. with the flower and stuff. So it just establishes a little bit of a different power relationship. He's also the one to ensure they have the deal with the making cells where that he will reach wall in his current health and situation and yada yada. So he is being much smarter about everything. He is more savvy. He has learned more around the world he's traveling through. We're very happy with Tristan. But before we have the whole travel negotiation, they have a random encounter with Ditchwater Cell. Because Tristran disentangles the silver chain attached to Una while she is in bird form and Cell, thinking, oh, I tried to steal my bird, hits him over the head. And so that is their actual first encounter, which is hilarious to me. It's very good. Also the fact, and this always makes me feel slightly uncomfortable when that happens, when you have people turned into animals and somebody pets them. Mm-hmm. It just feels weird to me. It because he's literally he's literally petting his mother on a head. Do you think that Una knows him in this moment or only later during the travel? I think she recognizes him, yes. That's gonna that's what it's I'm a go mother with. son bond thingy, yeah. stronghold something. Magic. Stormhold. No, stro- what? Stormhold, yes. Stormhold magic, family, legacy, something. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Okay, I can deal with that. We also get the information in between the two cell encounters that Evane still is not great at walking long distances, which obviously is one of the motivations for Tristan to actually engage with Cell in the whole, well, we could catch a right. See, this is the difference between, again, the book and the movie, is that 
in the movie, she gets healed by Lamia very, very quickly and very... And fully. Fully. So she is who she was in full, while mm. here she is suffering long term. Yeah. Because as have been said over and over, Tristan is not a doctor. He tried his best to help her, but, you know, so... There is this whole thing of like her suffering because he didn't do a good enough job in theory, but like also him doing a good job. Good he did the best he to, could. Exactly. But the best he could was not enough to make sure that her leg does not bother her throughout her endless lifetime. Yes. So basically without him, it would have been much, much worse. With yeah. him, she can at least walk now. Even if it's not great when she walks too long. And she shouldn't be walking too long anyway. It's fine. I mean, depends on what your enjoyment is, but yes, as a star, I would assume that walking is not high on her uh, leisure activities. <laughs> so we have the conversation with Sal and Tristan about, oh, you can work for me at the market. Tristan going like, no, I can't. I have my own shit going on. Them arguing and dealing about it. And I was very intrigued because Tristan keeps mentioning his companion mm -hmm. and Sal never reacts to that or includes that in any way. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, okay, does the curse also alter what she perceives in conversation? And then very quickly after that, we get confirmation that it actually is the case. Mm -hmm. And the curse in the movie did not make it that explicit. Nope. But this is a one hell of an amazing curse. And it's just another tiny example of how incredibly powerful the Witch Queen is. Yep. So that was... Wow, wow. Yes, because this way she doesn't even get an inkling of yeah, there could no be somebody else in there. She's so. not aware of the curse in any way, shape or form because even the tiniest implication that would make her savvy to the fact that she has a curse on herself gets muted in her perception. Yeah. It's so wild. It's very, very good. It's a very strong magic for and sure. So the whole transformation happens. She pops him in the cage. Yvain uses her bed whenever Sal isn't using it so the travel arrangement works and throughout this travel people do mention on Evain but Sal is none the wiser and everything works out great also obviously their journey once again much longer than in the movie yeah it takes literal weeks yes it takes literal weeks and not days mm -hmm. also how lucky are we that Evain doesn't need to eat anything right this is something that is really, really convenient. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, this would have been a problem. Yep, because then obviously Sal would definitely notice that things are getting missing. No, I don't think... I really think that the curse would also cover for hmm. that. Actually, now that, I, that I, yeah, now that I said it aloud, <laughs> you're probably right. But it still would have posed a problem because food yeah. is food. But especially water and shit like that, so... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh well. We go into chapter 9, which deals chiefly with the events at Diggory Dyke. And those of you who paid attention, of course, remember Diggory's Dyke as the location where the Witch Queen is going to wait for everyone who plans to go to Wall, a.k.a. the Star. But first of all, what is the Diggory's Dyke? <laughs> it's a dick.
ditch, but it's a big ditch. It's a big ditch that was dug by a dude named Diggory in a day and a night, according to the legend. Nobody really talks about the rest of it. The ideas behind of why would he do that or if he did it by himself or if there is anything like that. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody cares. So in this chapter, we learn of uh, Septimus's faith. We come in on to this chapter with him stalking out. Yeah. What did I say? You snuck in a a, a TH there. And I was like, what? He's religious? (laughs) Sorry. Same thing. I mean, he kind of does have a faith with his obsession with the poisoning, you know? Yeah. His his faith is poison. His faith is indeed poison. And his faith Um, is death. (laughs) Sorry. Same thing. Uh, Now, he is stalking the witch queen's hut, which is not even a house. It's a hut at this point because she, I assume she just does not have enough power anymore in order to get a house. She's running low. She's running low and she needs to like portion it out. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, she appears very, very old to him Mm -hmm. and she mostly just stays in the hut. And I like his plan that he comes up with because he can't know who she is and what her power is. But it is a really decent plan. It's it's a pretty foolproof, you'd think, right? Yeah, I mean, aside from the fact that she is basically unkillable for him because she is a fucking witch queen. But he doesn't know that. Yeah. Um, While I I am very proud of this sentence that I wrote wrote down here. So if it was anybody else, it would have worked like a charm. It's a very, very good plan. Yes. Alas, it is not. Instead, (laughs) uh, the poisoner becomes the poisonee. Which, of course, yes, this is a beautiful how the tables have turned it. How the turntables have turned it, I think it is in the office. (laughs) Well, 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 how the turntables. Exactly. Because he gets bitten by a snake and thus is poisoned and dies a very, very lengthy, gruesome death. It's bad. Like, once again, this is not for children. No, it's bad. It takes, like, all night for him to die. Yeah. And his brothers, his six brothers, all the ghosts are staying with him. And once he's finally dead, he joins them. And very, very different from the movie. This is the moment where all of them leave because they say, well, none of us is going to be king of Stormhold, so we might as well just fuck off. Mm -hmm. Which, damn. So they are not tethered to this realm until a new king is found. It was more, okay, we're going to hang around and see which one of the other fuckers is going to make it. So it seems more out of their free will. Like they Mm -hmm. aren't stuck to hang around. They choose to hang around. Which is a bit nicer, I feel. It is a bit nicer. However, the whole being stuck until the new king is found is more fairy tale like I mean, I love the agency those ghosts seem to have, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah, it's it's more like a adult free will kind of a situation where they're like, yeah. I just want to know how this is going to turn out. Yeah, so I'm always here, advocate and number one fan of free will, even though free will is an illusion. If you want to know more, listen to the bonus material of the very last episode of Lucifer. And Lena will find a way to plug this devils in the details every single time that we record. I love that. Every single time we say the word free will, yes, then I will plug it because I'm very proud of my lengthy lengthy analysis so 
All right, so no more uncles for Tristan. All his uncles are now dead without him I'm... ever having met them, which is well, sad. He met Primus. Yeah, true. And they, and they hit it off. They invited each other into their respective homes, so I yeah. feel like he met the best besties. uncle. So yeah, yeah, now I'm less sad. Good point. Good point. Hmm. So reading this book after watching the movie kind of spoilers something, and I'm curious how that was for you because knowing the movie you already know how the Ditchwater cell passing by the Witch Queen was gonna go. Mm -hmm. So did that make a difference for you for the enjoyment of that tiny scene? Or like, how was that? I didn't actually put too much attention to it, I think, because I knew that that was going to happen. But also it was a combination of the fact that we know the rules and the rules have been explained to us in the book as well. Okay. So like technically, I would have known kind of how this must go even without watching the movie maybe I suppose the movie have made it more profound okay. but we don't really get this kind of a situation in uh, the movie at all because in the movie Lamia comes up to Sal by the wall and there's no such thing as uh, Yvain getting away mm. she actually captures her there so I just didn't find it about it just didn't feel the same okay curious curious so, of course, Ditchwater Cell passes by the hut. They have a conversation. And since Yvain is inside the wagon and Tristan is a dormice, Cell speaks true. Dormouse. And Oh, sorry. Dormouse. And so Cell does speak true. So the Witch Queen has no way of knowing what is going on because Cell is not lying to her. She is not. So she can't spot that. And so, just like you pointed out when we watched the movie, she thwarted herself by putting a yeah. too good of a curse on Cell. Yeah. But then again, who knows what would have happened if Cell would have recognized Yvain for being a star. Yeah. Does she have enough juice to take Tristan down even with Una there and Yvain being a... Does she? Does she not? I would say no because Yvain and Tristan have experienced several adventures together by that mm -hmm. point. So I feel it would have been different. Yeah. But of course the wagon drives off and Una in bird form is having a laugh. Which seriously, <laughs> one of my favorite moments in the book. Oh, that's it's so, so funny. funny. It's so fucking Just funny. having the best fucking time mm -hmm. because she knows exactly what's going on. She's yep. actually the only person on the realm who knows exactly what the fuck's going on, including everything. Yep. <sighs> uh, I also find it funny that Sal did not recognize the Witch Queen once more because of how much youth have been stolen from her at this point. So she looks so much different than the last time when they met, when uh, she put the curse on Sal. All right. We reached the end of our journey with the wagon. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, with the wagon, yeah. Nice. <laughs> no, no, no. There's, there's still one and a half chapter chapters. And a half. <laughs> Plus the epilogue. So we reached the end of our wagon journey. We reach the market town and everything. Yay. Tristan gets transformed back into a human. I now understand, for starters, why uh, Sal turns Tristan into the mouse. Because in the movie, they travel with her for like a day, day and a half or something yeah, it like makes that. No very, sense. very short. And it, there's like no point in her turning him into the mouse, except for maybe being vindictive, vindictive for the flower yeah, just or being something. the the ass that she is. Yes. Yeah. While here, she explains it to Una earlier, but then again, she does it here. The lodging and whatever, it's so much easier and cheaper and yeah. quieter journey and everything. It makes so much more sense. Like, it's been weeks that he's been with her. It would have been so much more of a hustle 
hassle if he was in a human form. Yeah, because during the travel, he would not be helpful. He would just be a bigger mouth to feed. And this way, he had a tiny mouth and a tiny stomach. Bigger mouth to feel. feed. Feed. I know, bigger mouth to feed. Mm-hmm. Now he's a tiny mouse. Oh. oh, it took her so long. It took her so long to get it. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, because mouse and mouth do not sound the same in my English, woman. Yeah, I know. I, I, I know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't in my English either. So it had to for the pun. It did. Yeah. Well, it wasn't. I. I meant actually. No, never mind. Uh, it works. Is the point. So and I made a laugh. Oh, because mouse and mouse. Okay, the plural. <laughs> Continue. Um, she's not impressed with me. I hate reason. puns. I don't know. Move on. Anyway. <laughs> I also find it very, very cute that Tristan decides to bring Yvain to his parents first. Because when they first head for the wall at this point, he's like, I'm going to bring you to meet my parents. I'm going to bring you there and you can sip on my mother's tea and you're going to feel so that much better than you so do now. That sounds so wrong. Sip on my mother's tea. <laughs> Wow. It's wow. cute. It's cute. No. He's it, he's trying to bring his girlfriend home to meet the parents. Yeah, Come that on. is cute. But sip on my mother's tea sounds so wrong. I don't know what you think tea is in your head. No. <laughs> Why would you say that? First of all, that's not a thing. <laughs> Second of all, shut up. <laughs> Okay, and that's me on uh, the rest tea of this chapter. Tea and teat is very close, and so... Says the person who just slugged me off for mouse and mouth. You mean for mouse and mouse. Um, <laughs> dear listeners, I just uh, very graphically wiggled my boobies, and Vera was not amused by that. I stand by what I say and did sip on my mother's tea is just, you know... My brain is 12. That is okay. It is curious to me that he still is on this whole plan that he's taking Yvain to Victoria. Because he has come to the point where he feels that Yvain is not a thing. But she's a person. And so she cannot and should not be given to another person as a gift. So I feel it's not framed explicitly enough that he is only wanting to show Yvain to Victoria. I understood it. I understood it well enough. Okay. Especially because he talked about after meeting Victoria to find Yvain's own destiny. You know, help her get home. So I would assume that he has stopped thinking of gifting her in that way mm. uh, a while back. Yeah, still, like, for me, it was just not... In the movie, he cuts off the tiny strand of hair to prove that he did find the star. Because he only yeah. wants to show Yvain to Victoria to show that he is a man of his word. Yeah. But I feel like in the movie, it's a bit more explicit that he does not plan on handing her over than it is here. Yes, but in the movie, it's worse because he uh, sleeps with her and then leaves her behind. Yeah, like, there's another implication in the movie that does not show up in the in the book. Yeah. Well, it does, so, but later. They, That's the thing. Are, like, we, get, we get the same cringe moment in the book, just shorter and later. They're balancing it out, and I feel like the book is less traumatizing for Yvain. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to refute that when we get into the last chapter. Well, I, I'm not talking about the epilogue, okay? <laughs> so chapter nine ends on a proper cliffhanger, because... We know that Yvain is not going to survive the passing over into Wall. Do we? Yes, we have watched the movie, so... Oh, as as in, like, we as, as the two of us specifically. Yes. yes. 
Yes. We know that, but the readers don't know no, that. No, no. Uh, yes, also the readers do know because the sisters of the witch queen no, pointed the it out. Sisters, the sisters said, and then they they phrased it very interestingly because, and I wrote it down. I was about to say, did you write it down because then I don't have to look it up. I did write it down. They say, once she goes into that world, she will be lost to us. Ooh, so it's so they don't explicitly ooh. say that she's gonna be gone or like she's gonna turn into stardust. We learn that from Una in a second. True, but, true, 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 true. Uh, as a reader, we don't know that yet technically. But we know it, or you know it, because we have watched the movie, and so you know. No, mm-hmm. we are more cl- more cliffhanged than uh, any the normal first time reader, not time yeah. watcher. Yes. Exactly. All right. It is time to go into chapter 10, which is titled Stardust. And I say roll credits. So just like in the movie, the title shows up very, very, very late. Yep. Mm. But just like (sighs) in the movie, we get several endings. Yeah. I mean, before we get to the first one, there is a little journey to go. First of all, they get stopped immediately. They are trying to cross the wall and there are Wyston and Mr. Brown guarding the wall that Tristan knows. Winston. And they Winston? No. I'm pretty sure that's pronounced Winston. There's no N in there. Why? W-Y- Weiston, you're right. Yeah, Weiston Pippin. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Uh, his old classmate and uh, another man from the town that he knows well. Because it's while... his former boss. No, no, his former boss is uh, Mr. Monday. They're both. It's a shop called by Mr. Something and okay. Monday. Because I, right. I went back and I double checked. Okay, now you're the one who knows better than me. No, because I was so confused with like, wait, but didn't he meet his former boss there and then I went back and forth and back and forth no like I it's not that I don't trust. oh yeah oh yeah just as former um, um, oh yeah it, because it's Monday Monday and Browns yeah Jerome um, uh, Jerome Ambrose Brown Esquire so Mr. Yep. Brown his former boss and his all class classmate Weiston Pippin what a name what a name like seriously wow so they are on the guard and they don't let him through because they don't recognize him which is so funny to me but it again makes so much more sense now because he's been gone for months and he we have watched him go through quite a lot of physical transformation so first of all he is not as I imagine him as quite scrawny when he left I don't think that he is that anymore he is a seasoned he must sailor have out he is a sailor he walked a lot he uh, he stunned. went through adventures hair is long yeah he has a hand that's completely burned yeah you know like his physical appearance has changed quite a lot so it is understandable that they don't recognize him but also they're not allowed to let people in i mean out i mean through also i found it interesting because like weiston is being pointed out as a bully of his yeah so that is interesting that a former bully of his is now part of refusing him entry back to his home Mm -hmm. but this is also the moment where tristan already feels more at home and closer to the people in fairy than to his former home yes so but they do give up they do give up and they go back luckily for you (laughs) i was a little worried there and while tristan sleeps Una approaches Yvain and she basically tips a lot of her cards. She shows that she is very aware of what is going on. She knows that Yvain has the jewel. Mm-hmm. She knows that her own time with Sal is nearly up. She knows that Tristan is her son. 
like Una is very much the oh yeah I know everything and everything is going according to plan and la 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 la. I really have to say I do not like Una in the book. She is extremely yeah. opportunistic. Yeah. She's very arrogant. Yeah. And she is extremely self-serving. So mm-hmm. I am not a fan of Una. I mean she is kick ass. Don't get me wrong, but I don't like her. Yeah, she's very very calculating. That's I think that's my biggest issue with her. Otherwise yeah. she's very strong and independent. Well, not really independent yet, but um, she's but she very. She, she certainly will be. She no need no man. Except one that she birthed, which was also a calculation on her part. So it's like, exactly. The part of her decisions being calculated so much and that affecting people's lives so much, that is the part that I don't like about her. The parts yeah. where she is strong and independent and fierce and stands up for herself and the way she treats Sal after years of enslavement. Oh yeah, that, I am that a bit was of a fan great. of that. That yeah, was like, that was absolutely great. The whole negotiation process and everything. But she points out her chain getting a bit lighter or something. And Yvain looks at it and I quote, He once caught me with a chain much like yours. Then he freed me and I ran from him. But he found me and bound me with an obligation which binds my kind more securely than any chain ever could. Which oh, is baby. basically the most beautiful summary of everything that we've read so far. So essentially, it's also if you, sad. it is sad, but it's also beautiful because uh, then uh, Una does point out to her, "Are you here just out of obligation?" Which I feel is a moment where Yvain realizes. Yeah, she has to face the truth. Yeah, no longer true. No yeah. longer the only reason that she's around. So that is very very accurate. So. Una fucks off, they go back to sleep, and Tristan in the morning is being summoned to the wall. And he leaves By a badger. Yeah, I mean, that's very fairy. I like that. He leaves Yvain behind because he is expecting to meet Victoria. But unlike in the movie, he actually wakes her up to tell her, I'm leaving to meet Victoria. Yes, which is so good. Thank you. And I'm pretty sure he says, I'll be back. <sighs> I mean, we still get the misunderstanding later on, but it's much shorter. But I'm so appreciative that he does not exactly. just sneak off. Exactly. I mean, it's such I unneeded drama. No, no. Priorities, woman, uh, man. You know. <sighs> yeah. So half man. He go fairy man. Half man, fairy man, uh, Tristan. So he goes to the wall, but instead of meeting Victoria, he meets his sister, who, despite how mean she was to him when he was a boy, she seems to have missed him. But I still do not like her because her main complaint is that he ruined Christmas because her father missed him. I get it. I get what you're saying. However, I can also understand that Luisa is uh, struggling with expressing her feelings towards him. And uh, is she? Yes, because I mean. She doesn't strike me as struggling to express her feelings. It's just that her feelings suck. Maybe I'm projecting here. (laughs) But sometimes it is difficult to put in words that you missed somebody if... So you resort to saying things like, well, because you weren't here, Christmas sucked, but it's not because you weren't here, because obviously I don't care, but it's because something else. So, you know, it's like finding... So she's immature. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's 17. What do you want from her? She's a 17 is an adult in Victorian times. She's still a hormonal mess. I don't care. Well... I don't care. Exactly. I do not love it. I love it. So 
stuff happens. But for me, most importantly, we meet Victoria or Tristan meets Victoria. And I love Victoria in this ending because Victoria yes. is a really decent person. Mm-hmm. She takes full responsibility for her part in all of this foolery. Mm-hmm. But I also appreciate Tristan insisting that all of those were his choices and his actions and those are on him and not on her. So, yeah. Because Victoria is the same age as Louisa. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. This is an emotionally grown-up person. Yeah. You know, this is my expectation for Louisa as well, which is why I don't like her and why I love Victoria, because this is how you do it. This is how you do it. Uh, so Victoria has waited for uh, a good while. However, they have this conversation and it reveals quite a lot about their relationship. And that leads me to believe, because not long ago, just a short few pages ago, we still had Tristan talking about how much he loves Victoria. To me, combined with the conversation they are currently having and combined with the fact that he calls her Vicky as well as Victoria and Mrs. Monday or whatever he's going to be calling her in the future, that shows that their relationship and their friendship has been there since they were little kids. Yeah. And it's so much more profound than just him being obsessed with somebody based just how they look. Yeah, he's not just into a pretty girl, but she is one of his dearest childhood friends who he also fancied. So basically, I'm not saying that he didn't think he was in love with her when he left, but essentially what it boils down to, it is at this point a combination of friendship, endearment and obligation. And even though he still calls it love in his head or did very, 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 very recently. I think he still does love her, but not on a love. Not in a romantic way. Yeah, not on the... I think he loves her like a sister. Yeah. And I feel like the eye opener at this moment is when he asks her if she loves Mr. Monday. And she said yes. Because at that point, the obligation is satisfied. He has come back to prove that he can keep his word, but she is not waiting for him. She is waiting for somebody else or he, rather she is waiting for him to let her go. Well, so the whole waiting for him is uh, very hilarious to me because she waited for him because in her mind she promised her hand, which Tristan is right to point out, you did not promise me your hand in marriage, Victoria. You promised me whatever I desire. But so she did wait with getting married. She did not wait with having sex because she is pregnant. I know, that's so funny. So, I mean, that is hilarious to me. But in the end, he desires that she might be happily married as soon as possible, which is very, very adorable. So both sides will, fulfill their obligation. I thought you were going to say that is very, very adult and I was going to agree with you. But adorable is also true. <laughs> it's both. It's adult and adorable. I have to point out that to me it felt very weird that Victoria is engaged to one of Tristan's former bosses. Hmm. But it also connects with the conversation the girls have in the beginning of the book about yeah. the benefits having an older husband. I think that they would not have had that conversation if Victoria wasn't seriously considering having feelings for Mr. Monday already at that point, even though she is very, very young. Again, the time was different. We have so many situations in this book that do not lead anywhere. So... yeah. Just because something happened does not mean there's going to be like a... Payoff. 
a payoff for it at the end. But this is one of the cases where we do get a payoff. Chekhov's girlish banter <laughs> has a Game payoff when she marries an older dude because of reasons. But I guess she's happy. So yay. Tristan goes to his family and he sees his father. And so he finally learns the truth about his conception and birth. This is a really interesting situation. So uh, Dunstan is waiting downstairs in the pub for Tristan to bring him home and to have a deep conversation about his heritage and other things. And more than anything, this actually feels like a goodbye. And I am a little sad that we don't get more details on this because this is, again, something that we are are watching like from a bird's view rather than being actually immersed in the story. You could, I guess, argue that it's more like a, it's a private conversation between them. <laughs> I you also know. want to point out that while Tristan is going to end up getting his heart's desire as per fairy promise. I do not think Dunstan ended up with his heart's desire and I pointed that out in the beginning when we talked about this but I want to say it again. I am very sad for Dunstan because like his life was never meant to be fully happy this way you know because he always is going to have the what if in his Mm. brain and as happy as I am with his wife embracing Tristan as well as she could it still feels harsh to be married to someone who experienced a part of fairy Mm. and so a part of his will always that belong to fairy. Part of a specific fairy. <laughs> yes, you, we can make it dirty if you want. So like, I, I feel like for everyone involved in a situation, but especially everyone in the family, there is no full, full happiness when it comes to this. And yes, they are making the best out of it, but it does not feel the... Dunstan getting his heart's desire was fulfilled as well as Tristan getting his heart's desire. Mm. And I do wonder why. Yeah, that's an interesting conversation. Uh, we've talked about this at length before. I do. So I want to point it out. I'm going to put it on a question list because I will ask Neil. Yeah. Why did you have to make Dunstan unhappy? <laughs> why do you hate Dunstan? Yes. What, have, what has Dunstan what ever, done, Dunstan to ever you? done to you? <laughs> nice. But- nice. This is, I don't know, I still kind of stand by what I said before, and that is that Dunstan's expectations of life, so uh, or uh, maybe Dunstan's desires, maybe on a little bit of a different realm to Tristan's or ours. I think that being content doesn't necessarily mean being unhappy or not as happy that. as other people. Um, That's what I'm saying. I know, no, I understand what you're saying. I'm just trying to see through his point of view, you know? Like, maybe he would have found the adventure too much for him. Maybe I'm not saying he that wouldn't... he needed to go on a full adventure or anything. No, no, no. no I mean, I'm sorry. Una is very much an adventure on its, on her own. So maybe I don't think that he would have been happy with Una. Not I don't this think Una. Una is... I don't think Una would be happy on the side of any mortal. You know, that's just not... That doesn't really vibe with her. And I don't see a yeah. better happy end than the one we get here. But mm. I'm still sad for Dunstan. Yeah. Sad for Dunstan. I'm going to put it this way. I'm not sad for him, but I would like to be happier for him. Okay, fair enough. While all of this is happening, Victoria is seeking out Yvain. And we have a very, very short... Yeah, is she seeking to... her out? Yeah, she's she I, comes to her. I they're in fairy. Yeah, they're at the market. I thought yeah. that she just went to the market with Robert. That's how I got it. I'm sorry, that no. might just be like my... my. I don't think that... 
I didn't realize no, that she went the people there of Wall don't her. casually go to the market. They do. That's literally where where uh, she where Daisy gets her first kiss from Dunstan is at the market. Oh no, you're right. Wow. It was after three in the afternoon. The stars sat upon the meadow grass beside Mr. Bromeo's wine and ale and food stall. Mr. Bromeo's the co-boss thingy, right? No, that was Mr. Brown. Oh, that's the other one, right. Uh, that's the pub owner, right. Upon yeah. occasion, the patrons of the stall would offer her wine or ale or great greasy sausages, and always she would decline. Are you waiting for someone, my dear? Asked a pleasant-featured young woman as the afternoon dragged on. I do not know, said the star. Perhaps a young man, if I do not mistake my guest, a lovely thing like you. The star nodded. In a way. I'm Victoria, said the young one, woman. Fic- Victoria Forrester. I'm called Evange, said the star. She looked Victoria Foster up and down it again. So... You are Victoria Forrester. Your fame precedes you. The wedding, you mean, said Victoria, and her eyes alo- and her eyes shone with pride and delight. You are right. It is a random happening. I thought she sought her out. Sorry. That's okay. But we do get a short misunderstanding, but it is very, very short. And Yvain willingly starts walking towards the gap, towards the wall. To basically kill herself. She is about to start walking, yes. Like, before anything actually happens, everything is cleared up. So, yay, happy, happy. And then, of course, we have the whole conversation with the two Mondays in a week. And, girl, it took me way too long to realize that Mr. Monday's surname is Monday. (laughs) Like, I I read his surname, but I did not make the connection between Monday and Monday. I don't know know that... I don't know if it ever happens to you that you read a word as a name and you don't actively... You don't actually... Yeah. Because it's a name. It doesn't have a meaning. Yeah. So uh, it took me way too long to understand. Like, <laughs> So, yeah, this is how the whole chain Una thingy is gonna find an end because the moon has already lost her daughter and now we have two Mondays in a week. Yes. Great. Yeah. Yay. Okay. Ah. <sighs> I also love Vicky and Evain meeting. I am so happy that they actually have an interaction. And a positive at that. Yes, exactly. Because in the I just I just hate the movie in this. That's the aspect of the movie that I really, really don't like, and that is Victoria. Yeah, Victoria in the book is so much better and so much more nuanced and has so much more depth. And movie Victoria is a vain, superficial, horrible creature. And I have to say that my love of Victoria in the book influences why I'm so protective of Victoria in the movie. Mm, because yeah. I know she is so much better. Yes. So... But is she... She is not. She is a different character in the I movie. I know. But you know how it is. Come on. I know how it is. But I let's just... Let's face what it is. Victoria Forrester in the movie is a different character. Therefore, she should not be treated the same way as Victoria Forrester slash Monday I will remind you of that the next time you are protective of a movie or TV character just because you love the book character. Yes, but I have more grounds on that mm-hmm. because I said it first. Mm-hmm. That's okay. It is the correct approach. Yes, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying it's an unrealistic approach. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we also learn that Tristan and Yvain will not be able to have children. So the whole ending that we have in the movie with generation upon generation after them, not happening. Yeah, there are some uh, things that are going to be uh, very different happening. But, uh, but uh, th- we'll, let's talk about it in the epilogue. 
but I I appreciate Yvain telling Tristan that she will not be able to give him children before they kiss. Like before yes. they make their feelings to each other official in a way. Mm-hmm. She puts her cards on the table like, okay, this is your future that you can have with me. It's a very transparent way to discuss it. this. And uh, it's a very healthy way to yes. start a relationship. Yes, honesty and transparency I love it. This is the way. This is how it should be. Yes. Next up, Una gains her freedom because now... Two Mondays are coming together. The prophecy thingy, whatever. And she finishes her dealings with Cell because these things have rules. And I love that she's being paid. She is getting paid at the end of her indenture or servitude or whatever the word is. So I'm very much here for it. I'm very much here for it. I love it. She's an incredible negotiator. And of course, that doesn't help her personality, but also (laughs) it makes her... uh, a very successful human slash fairy. She's a very successful businesswoman. Let's put it there. That way. There, let's put it that way. And it will make her a very good and successful and fair ruler, I would assume, in the future. But yeah, maybe not as great as Yvain, but I mean, who can be as great as a star? So once she's done with Cell, she straight up seeks out Tristan and Yvain and she basically starts ordering them around, which Wow. I feel... So, by the way, so Tristan just found out like an hour ago that his mother is not his mother or his mom is not his mother. And then he comes to the ferry, to the market. He gets together with the woman he loves and there's this random woman that he has very passingly met before and he starts calling her mother? Yeah, but he had a moment of recognition with her so this is not coming out of complete left field for him. I mean, it's not completely out of left field but like it's also not deserved enough for me. Oh no, not at all. Not at all. Like Una has not earned her position as his mother. He calls, even the fact that he calls her mother is like too much I for me. I see that as a form of respect because this is simply what you did. Yeah, okay. But like still, I don't like it. Oh no, I, I also wouldn't do it. But I think that Tristan has been raised very well because his mom did a good job with him, you know? Yes, but to me, this feels like a disservice and a bit of a... <sighs> Not even... He moves on quite quickly. Yeah, it feels slightly disrespectful towards Daisy because she was so good to... She was, you know, she was the best mother she could have been I would him. agree with you if he would... If, if he followed what his... What Una asks of him. Then I would be okay. with you. But because he basically is like, nah, never mind, bye. In a very respectful but sneaky way, I don't mind it as much. Had he okay. done everything that she wanted him to do, I would be fully with you. But because Ugh. he literally skips out on her, I mean, come on, I'm here for it. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I also love that Yvain is like, ooh, this is something that I do not want to be in the middle of. Bye. Be- be- before we get to that, so obviously Una points out with the whole jewel of Stormhold, ask her for it. So Tristan asks for the stone, he gets the stone, now he's the rightful ruler, if he wants to be or not. Sucks to be you, boo, 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 boo. But because... Because he very much does not want to be a ruler. Like, he is very clear about that. And like you said, Yvain, the moment the fight between Tristan and his mother starts, she's like, yeah, no, not for me. Bye. It's amazing. Seriously. But also, I just noticed, I, I'm i so much with you that literally, why would you care that your never known a bio mom suddenly demands shit from you? In my notes. So I'm very much yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah. And while Yvain removes herself from the mother-son situation, she has an encounter with the Witch Queen. And that 
was a letdown for me. It just fizzles out so much. It's so anticlimactic because yeah. in the movie it is. I really, really like the cry, fighting yeah. in the movie. She truly is the big bad in the movie. In the book, it is. Well, I'm too weak and old now, and oh, you don't even have your heart anymore, so I can't use it anymore. Shucks. Bye then. It's like really. That's it. And the patronizing kiss on a cheek at the end or on a, on a forehead or whatever yes. Evane does is that I actually found extremely funny. I'm not going to lie. All of this is so wild to me. Of course, like we get the important information that Evane has given her heart to Tristran. So yay. And we get the curious information that Moronex sisters will be harsh but cruel. So curious, curious, curious. And we also pages, pages, pages ago learned that the fucking acorn finally got buried. So her end is going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. So we wrap this chapter up with basically them agreeing to come to Stormhold, but on their own. Yes. And Tristan knows that he will never be back to the normal world and to his original home. And so them leaving the market is also him saying goodbye to his like childhood home, basically. Yeah. And so we go into the epilogue. And the epilogue is surprisingly quick yeah but it's full of information and it literally has the subtitle in which several endings may be discerned and so i feel very very validated of course in my we have so many different endings because you were like no we don't i was like yes this is like fucking lord of the rings where one ending after the other happens Bring back the Lord of the Rings comment. Okay, yeah. okay. I'm putting it in my pockets and I'm going to take it out in a moment. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So Una goes directly back home mm-hmm. to sit on a throne and become a regent of her own country or f- her own. And I think, you know, that well, that is actually good for her. Yes. Because she gets to be who she is clearly destined to be, at least for a while, even though she might not be the happiest about the fact that Tristan didn't agree or... Fucks around so long. Yeah, you know. But she gets to be a ruler, yeah. which is something that she is clearly destined for. Also, it makes so much more sense that Tristan needs more life experience. Yeah. And this is something that I actually, if you remember... This is something that I mentioned when we were watching the movie. I complained about that loudly. And in a ways, we, I think, kind of agreed on this, that she should have ruled yeah, at least over for a time. him. At least, at for, least a for a time. Yeah, show him the fucking ropes. Yeah, instead of being his, like, just his advisor, yeah. retired or whatever, with Dunstan, she should have taken the, the rule. I love it so much because, like, she rules Stormhold for three years and then Tristan and Yvain show up just to fuck off again for another five years. They're like, mm, I don't feel like doing it. What about you? Yeah. Mm, me neither. Let's go home. Uh, let's go away again. Bye. So a total of eight years, Una rules. And then they come back and they do take up the crown. And Tristan made as few decisions as possible. But the ones he made were wise ones. Good for him. I yeah, really like, like that a, one. That is a true wise king. Yes. If you can do that, it's the best way to do it. But then, of course, we go through this all very, very quickly because Tristan ages and ages and at some point he dies. And I want to point out, death in Stardust is female. (laughs) I did not know this. Oh, yeah, she sneaked into... Oh, everything important is female. Mm -hmm. So... I love it. Yeah, it feels like uh, Neil is creating all his worlds in a very matriarchal way. And I like that. It also says that Stardust and Good Omens do not exist in the same world because in Good Omens, death is male. Yes. 
that is true. But also uh, we have very different, maybe death in fairy is female and death in our world is male. You think they're siblings or yeah. a couple? <gasps> Ooh. Ooh. Um, I mean, the problem is in Lucifer, death is female. I would say, I don't know why, but like I've always imagined male death like i don't know if it's like from pratchett or whatever or like some sort of an influence but death in our world i would say he would be a him but he would be ace so i don't think that they are a couple i think that they might be siblings i mean the german word for death is male so like in german everything is gendered so death is male check word for death is female actually Ooh, okay Curious, curious. We have to actually like change the word in order for it to fit the Pratchett's death Ooh. because he is male. So it needs to be uh, instead of smrt or smrtka, which is uh, the female version, it has to be smrt. It feels more like a name rather than the function in okay. this context because it's capital S as well for us which we are not a little, you know, we don't go wild with our capitals when it comes to <laughs> words like German does. So We don't go wild. You just put them everywhere you can. No. Nouns, nouns. and names. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's it. How can you tell a noun from a name? You don't have to. Both are capitalized and everything else exactly. is not. But like if you are reading something, how can you tell that the person is just that or if it's their name? It doesn't matter. It's called context. <sighs> Germany. So, Death collects Tristran and she is put to rest in the crypt where he's supposed to be as a ruler of Stormhold. And Yvain takes over as ruler. And she probably still rules Stormhold to this day, given the fact that she is an immortal star and being. So, yeah, I very much appreciate that. But also, it is sad because she will be alone for all eternity. It's also, yes, it's very lonely. So, you know, if we if you look at this ending, and I'm now is the time when I'm gonna take out my Lord of the Rings card. Because yes. the biggest parallel mm -hmm. relationship that you can bring to this is Arwen and Aragorn, because he is a mortal man and she is an immortal elf. But she gives up her immortality, she has that choice. She goes to live out her days to the elf land after Aragorn dies. It's, yeah, she leaves with the elves after he dies. She is on the on the last ship out of Middle-earth. And with, along with Frodo, by the way. I thought she gives up her mortality. It's possible. I don't remember exactly if she does, but I believe that she is still immortal in uh, the books. It might be in the like a movie thing again, actually. I'm pretty sure that is a movie thing because Arvin gave up the elvish immortality available to her as daughter of Elrond and agreed to remain in Middle-earth instead of traveling to the Undying Lands. Yes, they are together. So that's the thing. Like in the uh, in the books, if I remember correctly, they are together. They have so at least they have family and they have children and grandchildren and everything. And then he passes away because obviously he's a human, but she keeps on living with her children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and everything. But then there's a time for the last ship to... One year after Aragorn's death, Arwen dies at the age of 2901. It's a movie thing that she leaves. I thought it was the other way around. Never mind. Either way, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like that. This. This is not what I'm trying to point out. So I, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna parallel it with Yvain and Tristan, at least if Arwen lived longer than Aragorn, they, at least they had the children. You know. 
That's what I'm trying to say. At least in the movie, there is the family that would keep her company. It The way it is written in the book, and I'm not saying which is right or wrong and like that she should have had children because this is another question of like, obviously if she couldn't have children, it doesn't make her less of a woman or less of a person, whatever. That's not what I'm saying. It feels just so lonely and sad. Oh yeah, it is meant to be lonely and sad because literally he describes how she will limp up the stairs to the highest part of Stormhold to I know. look at her sisters where she can never be. Like it is a, an absolutely devastating ending for her. Yeah. But there, the moment she fell, she was not going to have a happy end. She got at least a partial happy life. That was the best that she could hope for. Because yeah. this is not a sanitized Grimm's fairy tale with and they lived happily ever after. No one in here gets a happily ever after. Not a single person. Eh, Tristan kind of does. No, Tristan dies. Because that's how humans work. The fairy tale happily ever after is literally forever. Okay. It's not how... The, I, I the Grimm's fairy tale, the, the sanitized version is, and if they didn't die, they live to this day. It's like, that's the, ah, everything yes. is heavy. There's no death, no loss, no sadness. This but is if they a didn't die, means that tale. they die. <laughs> yeah, but different kinds of fairy tales. Yeah. This is not for children. And so we get the inevitability of loneliness, of despair, of unfairness. Because it is incredibly unfair that just because Tristan's fucking granddad decided to chuck the jewel of Stormhold into the sky. That's the only reason why Yvain fell. It's incredibly unfair. Yeah, it's terrible. Yes, but it's also life. And at least this way Stormhold has an amazing ruler. That is true. And maybe, maybe, who knows, at some point another star is gonna fall and then Yvain will have a sister staying with her. And they can limp up the... <laughs> and they can limp up the stairs together to wave to their other sisters. Do you yeah, want to put cute. on the question that's... list why Neil decided to make this ending so sad and hopeless? No, because he's cruel and terrible and he hates us. Yes, so I'm going to put it on the question list. I, I don't need him to tell me that to my face. <laughs> it's enough that you're telling me that to my face. I mean, the thing is, I appreciate sad endings. I really like sad endings because it gives the whole story a bit more... Gravitas. And reality. Yeah. Because I'm sorry, See, in life, nobody ever gets to be happy until the end of days. I'm not saying that. I'm like. I know that you're me, not saying that, but you like, you prefer the escapism in your books and stories. You like. Well, that's one thing, but like also, I would, I would like. Uh, I'm not saying they have to live ever after. I'm saying that there could have been some sort of a. You want a, the Arvin option of her choosing mortality and then dying with her husband and be happy in death together? Not necessarily, no. Okay, what do you want for her then? What I what I was trying to say is like if if they had the option of having a family of an ex or creating an extended family, which may have happened, but we just don't hear about it in here because it's such a short version of, of events. But Yvain was never a person to reach out to other humans. She's not gonna build her own family with other people. That is not her character. But that's why she had Tristan for so many years. See, I would have preferred... I'm not saying that she had to have children. I'm saying that if that was an option or if they would be able to create their own family in some sort of a way, it would have 
been nicer for me to wrap around because it would still be lonely for her and she would still lose the love of her life and she would still be sad and couldn't go home but at least she would have like a consolation prize of like having being being surrounded by people that care about her but if she wanted to surround herself with people don't you think she would maybe probably she would yeah yeah so Maybe she does not want to surround herself with people. And that is okay. Maybe. I'm not saying it's not. No, like, I'm, I'm like, we're talking about what I wish with for her. We're talking about what I would wish for her. I think we're what... talking about what you would wish for yourself in that situation. Because throughout the entire book, Yvain was not a fan of humanity. Eh. So it makes sense to me that she is the happiest she can be by herself while still being sad because she's missing her siblings. Okay. It, 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 it fits her character the most for me. There, there's a very much a point of view situation and like yes you're you're right in that if you if you put it this way it is less of a sad uh, ending to me so i made i made it a bit less sad that that is that is yeah. great and i'm fully yeah. with you that like a person that enjoys humanity and stuff like that yes chosen family create people around you Everything, everything you said, absolutely. But the character of Yvain that we see in the book, because the character of Yvain in the movie is very different. Like, mm. if movie Yvain were stuck on Earth, I'm pretty sure she would have surrounded herself with family. Yeah. But book Yvain, not a very social creature. <laughs> Yeah, so I see her more surrounding herself with books and music and occasionally venturing into the forest to hang out with a unicorn, you know? Yeah. That is more what I see makes Yvain as happy as possible, given the fact that she will not ever be proper happy again after the moment okay. that Tristan died because he took her heart with him. Okay, now speaking of the heart, tell me, does this then works differently in the movie where you don't, you need to actually consume the heart in order to get the youth or what's the story there because I operated under the assumption that as long as Tristan has her heart he should live forever yes until the moment that the book said and then death sneaked into their bedroom and took him with her I was like okay so he is also also immortal because he has Yvain's heart which is the reason why the witch queen can't take it away from her because she no longer has it. So in this moment, wouldn't it, shouldn't it flip that like she is now mortal and he is immortal because he has her heart? No, because he has the metaphorical heart and or the metaphysical heart, not the metaphorical. He has the metaphysical heart. And the thing mm. is, the power of the heart does not make you immortal. Mm. The actual living, beating heart is what makes you immortal. And mm. the metaphoric, the, the metaphysical heart was given away. So ripping the physical heart out would not have the same effect because you basically need a combination. Okay. And consuming the heart of the star does also not make you immortal. It only prolongs your life. And I would not be surprised if Tristan lived a much longer life than he was supposed to. But in the end, he's still human. And uh, this is something that they do end up doing in the movie is that they technically are both immortal because they are both in possession of Yvain's heart. They share it. Yeah, and then they both go up to the sky and have a happy ending. But that's because they choose to, not because their time is physically up. Exactly. More choice is something I'm always a fan of, but this is more realistic to me. Yeah. No, you're right. It just feels more... Uh, it feels like uh, Neil decided to maybe play around with the ending a little bit when it came to the movie, including the family and I'm very including curious the fact... who decided to change the ending so much more positively because 
Mm. He handed over the script to uh, Vaughn and fuck, what was her name? Something with a G. Uh, Matthew Vaughn and Jane something. So I'm very curious which one of the three came up with the happier ending. And so I would put that on the question list, actually. So all in all, do you have a preference between book and movie now that we've talked at length about both? See... I feel like the overall story being the same is the basics. Mm-hmm. I feel that some details were improved in the movie. Yes, some were not improved, like Victoria. <laughs> and some were not improved. And I love both for different reasons. So, for example, obviously, Victoria, we have talked about that. Yes. Other big, big differences, or like the biggest differences to me, besides also Una, that we also talked about at length, is the timeline, mm-hmm. which I prefer much more in the book because it gives me more wholesome experience. It gives me more, it makes more sense to me yeah. in the timeline that is longer. The existence of Daisy and Louisa makes it different and it gives a different context and and changes the ending as well so i do enjoy them but as you have pointed out for dunstan it might be a happier ending with the movie una Mm. but it just the context of each changes nuances and if you change just that one detail it wouldn't fit into the rest of the story so I feel like you've said this before that they are different enough that they don't they wouldn't work together. Yeah. One does not take away from the other because they are different enough. Yes. So I love both and the overall basic story is amazing and I will never stop loving that but each of them are giving me a little bit of a different vibe and each of them are giving me something positive but also something negative so I can't tell you which one I like better I think I might like better the movie just for just purely for the nostalgia Mm. and Robert De Niro (laughs) I mean Captain Shakespeare is a great great big plus in the movie no discussion there. But the novel itself brings so much to the table that I cannot just dismiss as like, nah, I don't care or nah, it's not as good. Because it is. It is as good and sometimes better. To me, the book and the movie speak to very different parts in me. The book gives me layers. <laughs> Four characters, four storytelling, four potential. Mm. There is much more opportunity with the book to wonder about what might be, things that might happen in the future, things that might happen on the sidelines. There are so many open-ended questions, so many open-ended sentences and scenes that give so much space to, but what, what if, what may be, what could. The movie is pure happiness. Yeah. Stardust the movie is one of those movies that you can put in when you are feeling sad or alone or unhappy or stressed and you watch a relatively short movie and after that you're feeling happy. So to me the movie is a cup of hot cocoa on a cold winter day and the book is a bundle of opportunity and options. I love that. It's very well. I did think about that. (laughs) Proud of you. And with this, we have come to the end of our recording. Oh, gasp, no Gasp, gasp, gasp. We, I let's know. Just, let's start from the beginning. Let's just read the whole book from the start to the end. Dear listeners, 
Thank you for sticking with us through probably three recordings of Stardust, the book. We mm-hmm. hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. I hope you enjoyed our various, various many tangents, no matter how many or few made it into the actual recordings. If you want to listen to more, become a patron over at patreon.com slash TOT podcast. And... We also hope that you enjoyed our very many confusions and disagreements because we really know what we're doing. Not. This is the moment where you cut them out and pretend they never happened, Lena. Come on, we need to look smart to these people. Well, I'm going to keep some of them in probably because they were hilarious. Also, most of the time I was wrong because I misremembered something. <laughs> and I was like, I'm pretty sure. Oh, no, you're actually right. <laughs> so we hope you enjoyed that. Vero, anything else you want to say? Read books. Do crime. Be queer. Be happy. Yay! That is a perfect ending to this. And with that, we say... Thank you. Bye! Bye!